0: Hey everybody! Welcome back to Terminus, the midsummer of extreme metal podcasts. I am the death metal guy, aka Dave Mustaine, upset at the DMV.
1: Ooh,
2: that's that's pretty. <laughs> you know, that's that is might be the sole case in which I would ever pity a DMV employee.
0: <laughs> you can you can imagine, yeah, like you feel the frustration, like just overhearing him a few windows. I'm quay. gonna
2: side with. I, I can't believe I'm I'm gonna side with the DMV on this one uh, <laughs> that's fair <laughs> and I am the black metal guy aka
0: rap name big deity <laughs> We, we workshopped a, a lot of good ones before, yeah. <laughs> before we got on. So, ladies and gentlemen, although uh, you may not have expected it, we have returned uh, stronger than ever from our annual summer break. Uh, black Metal Guy, you're uh, done with your big move. How are you doing now? You know, pretty damn good. Uh, um, I am now
2: uh, actually... I'm now officially living in sin with my girlfriend, um, and uh, that's that's great. Um, the uh, and it's uh, a much nicer, more spacious place than I've ever had at a better price than I was paying before. Um, we are uh, adjusting. I guess I'm readjusting to big city life. Uh, and, you know, I have my, my girlfriend's dog around, who I guess is my dog, too, now, which is pretty sick.
0: <laughs> you just get all, automatically shared dog custody? Yeah, that's... yeah
2: pretty, pretty. I, I, I basically helped her pick him out.
0: Okay, well, that's
2: fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. See, and, and now you're in a, a major metropolitan area, so you can be part of the rootless cosmopolitan elite like you always wanted to be.
2: Oh yes, that is that is the problem. Um, (laughs) I'm uh, I'm trying to I'm trying hard to keep it rooted, Um, and uh, you know you've just luckily this is uh, I'm optimistic about the possibility of finding um, others who understand the. The, the Terminator way of life.
1: <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Well, you, you know, you, you have, uh,
2: Even a needle in a even a needle in a haystack is easier to find in a really big haystack.
0: Yeah, that's true. And there's probably more needles. Like there's more needles
2: <laughs> per more needles per haystack. <laughs>
0: exactly. Just, well, that's when you get a big magnet. Makes it really mm-hmm. easy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, that magnet being everyone's favorite Extreme Metal podcast, uh, returning as planned, although maybe slightly later than we originally anticipated. And uh, we've got a show for you, uh, as well as some, some other projects that we're feverishly working on in the background that will be exciting, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about those when they're ready to present publicly. So, uh, you know, let's, let's get right into it. Uh, Real quick housekeeping, the usual social media, me, the death metal guy on Facebook at Terminus Podcast, or the black metal guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. Uh, Additionally, if you are so inclined, feel free to subscribe to us on Patreon, uh, where $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes and $5 and up. Uh, Gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server that for, a, for one day this week was just dominated by discussion of uh, obscure East Coast hip hop. So, uh, you know, come for the extreme metal, you know, well, stay for the E-40.
2: On another side of things, um, a guy who just became a patron... Uh, emailed us an extraordinarily detailed list of every good slovak slovakian death metal band between like 1988 and 1992. so uh uh there there is there are levels of autism like that um other thing about patron stuff um a funny thing is that the patreon has been in flux of late it's been you know sort of you win some you lose some uh I imagine, you know, some people have dipped off it lately, which is probably because we've produced almost no fucking bonus content in six or eight months. I've been so busy. So I feel like we're going to have more along those lines soon, but we've also got to figure out a new way of doing it because the way we had was not not sustainable.
0: Yeah, Um, we'll we'll, we'll figure it out. You know, something that's a little bit more. Uh, Easier to uh, regularly produce content for.
2: Yeah, so if you've signed on purely out of love of the show, uh, or you've stuck around purely out of love of the show despite the fact that the promised goods were not provided, we really appreciate it. And if you bounced because the promised goods were not provided and we're all fucking poor right now, um, fair enough, man. We get it. Hopefully you keep listening to the show.
0: Yeah. So uh, what way... (laughs) What better way to... Bring uh, uh, Terminus back into action. than with an opening mini review of unlistenable brutal death metal. <laughs> Dude.
2: Another cool thing about this, yes, this we've got a great lineup for tonight. It's
0: um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, this is a this is a sort of you know 2020 style Terminus episode, and it's it's fun to do those periodically. We got lots of weird shit. So. Uh, We are going to be up front discussing uh, Kniving's Agonal Hymns out on New Standard Elite. Um, And briefly, I just want to say, I spent a solid half hour attempting to research the proper pronunciation of that word.
2: Yeah. Well, is it, how, so yeah, is there a way the band says you're supposed to say it? Because if not, I think I have an
0: idea. Uh, he, I, I don't believe so, or at least I haven't heard it, but I was, re- I got into like the etymology and everything, and there just seems to be like multiple different possibilities, none of which are firmly established. But you, uh, I assume, know the word and its origin in Scandinavia, so maybe you do have a, a better idea. Yeah,
2: it's, it's, it's need, or need. Uh, like N-I-T-H, but the T-H is one of those thorns, so it's kind of mm-hmm. like a D. Um, I don't think it'd be nithing but who knows? Maybe in some Scandinavian dialect it would have been. Um, it's, uh, But yeah, so what it refers to... Um, well, you were just researching it. Do you want to tell the people?
0: Oh, I, I mean, I was researching it, but you, you know this more fundamentally than I do. You'd present it better. Well, people use it
2: sometimes. I think as maybe a a generalized word for sin or transgression um, but like uh, dishonor it, to heap scorn uh, Nid is specifically associated with unmanliness ergi which is passive homosexuality uh, <laughs> re- receptivity basically um, and to accuse someone of of ergi to impute to them need on that level was an offense that the person could repay by killing you so it was actually possible to be a bottom as long as you were a you know as long as you were a, acted like a top
0: ah um, that's that's interesting yeah I, it's a very cool name for like a brutal death
2: band <laughs> yeah so another use of the term that's more common right in the more general sense of uh like the less strict sense of need or whatever like more general way of imputing dishonor would be in the, the Nidstang, which, I mean, we've reviewed a band called Nidstang, which is the Icelandic version. We've, we've um, reviewed re- releases uh, by Nidstang Records. Uh, it's the scorn pole where you erect a, a stout pole and um, you stick a dead horse's head on it and it's turned towards the land of someone who's really pissed you off and what it does is it drives, it uh, terrifies the landviteer, the land spirits of that land, and, you know, makes their crops infertile, maybe makes their wife leave them, makes the, uh, you know, um, whatever, uh, Im- sort of, and it's a sign of your scorn, but your scorn has a sort of magical malevolent energy in that case.
0: <laughs> That's pretty sick, you know, <laughs> I like that.
1: yeah. <laughs> and yeah
0: it actually and it actually goes pretty well with the project's aesthetic that is about a sort of like hey paganism
2: we don't take baths but we have pretty sick curses <laughs> yeah exactly that's all you need
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the aesthetic of this band is really rooted in sort of like body horror and uh, and and a certain sort of like purulent weakness. There's some really bizarre, interesting lyrical ideas on this record. You know, just very strange, sort of gory, ritualized. Um, sort of like magical processes or something, it's it's really fascinating. But um, Agonal Hymns is the first full length by this project and for those who might be familiar, this is a a solo project of uh, Matt Kilner. Uh, He is primarily a drummer in other Brutal Death bands. Uh, He's the current drummer for Vitriol, I think just as of this year, uh, Iniquitous Deeds, Gorgasm, and he's done a lot of really cool live work also. Uh, So this guy's very well-rounded. But this does not strike me as like a drummer band. Uh, we've talked about that concept a little bit in the past where guys who um, do solo projects where drums are sort of their primary instrument have to, uh, tend to have a, a sort of different quality uh, in terms of the way the music is arranged that centers a lot more on rhythm rather than conventional metal riff structures. But that's not really the case here. This feels very natural as a solo project where everything is given sort of an an even tone. Uh, This record came out a little while ago, but it really struck me uh, for a couple reasons. Um, One of them being Atmosphere. Uh, This is sort of truly weird and decrepit and ghoulish in the sense of like early Gorgut's. You know, it feels a little bit like listening to the erosion of sanity or like early cryptopsy, Uh, you know, maybe like blasphemy made flesh where, where things were very gory, but very sort of dark and occult at the same time. Um, So it
2: feels like real death metal.
0: Yeah, exactly. It does. Uh, That being said, this is definitely founded on the principles of like new standard elite brutal death. There is uh, a real affinity for something like enmity in this project, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but in terms of riffing, Mm -hmm. there's really exciting and interesting uh, textural guitar work and guitar layering that feels pretty unique to this band, actually. Um, this is definitely an example of brutal death metal stretching out past its its basic genre boundaries, taking in some outside influence, but then really using it to double down on the principles of brutal death, which I think is really cool. Um, so, for a quick uh, a quick example, let's listen to the beginning of the song "Lustral Cognitive Erosion." Um, So like I said, this is founded on the principles of NSE, Brutal Death. So blasting is sort of the organizing rhythmic principle. Um, But the blast beats here are extremely varied and they, they grind, they stagger, they interrupt themselves, they're arranged in this really evocative way. But I want to really pay attention to the guitars on this and about 30 seconds in this lead that is composed of just the worst intervals in the world and sounds like a like a a, a swarm of maggots or insects erupts into the music and makes for something um pretty pretty grim <laughs> the 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 various leads in that song are really fascinating to me because they're like y- you can see the direct through line back to Carrie King on them. But but there's something just like entirely different and horrible going on that has, I think, something to do with noise rock.
2: That makes sense. Um, it. It sounds a bit... All oh, I could hear the Cryptopsy thing. It's sort of like Cryptopsy wrote a lot of those riffs, as you pointed out, with those kinds of, like, sickening dyads. Yeah. It, it's like... Sorry. Some passing noise. <laughs> Not made with dyads.
1: <laughs> but Very yeah.
2: conventional interval choice. Um, uh, slow drum. No blast beats. Zero mm-hmm. out of ten. Um, but the, um... No, the, uh... It was oh the engine sounded like blast beats. that was pretty sick. Um, anyway um, the the sort of uh, those oh, yeah kind of kind of things. Um, it sounds like somebody took that kind of interval choice but used it to write a sort of uh, uh, used it to write a more carefully paced fleshed out melody. Right, less frantic, and it's more just taking its time, being as sickening
0: as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, the, the there's just really fascinating guitar stuff dotting all these tracks. I can't go over, over all of it, but uh, for instance, uh, you know, some of the riffs on there that are so heavily built out of pinch harmonics mm-hmm. s- sound at first blush like, you know, just... Chugging fast like sixteenth note chords with these random pinch harmonics thrown in, but but listening closer, you can tell there's like an entire melody being played just through the pinch harmonics.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, you know that, that that the pinch harmonic is is the medium with which he is developing these riffs, and then he's really fucking with you by playing with the channels that they're popping off on. They're they're rhythmically offset from one another. Um, it's just really cool. Dude, using
2: channel switching as a non-gim... Not as a gimmick. uh, The sort of... Was really cool. He was using the channel switching as part of the riff. uh, Mm -hmm. And... um, The layering... So I sort of heard... Okay, that's a gross lead the first time. But the sort of swarm of maggots or swarm of flies thing... Mm -hmm. Became really clear with the second time it appeared. Maybe with slightly different melody... With the layering and the layering just creates that horrible, you know, hissing sound. Yeah. Um, it's um. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: that, it's it's back.
0: <laughs> oh, outstanding. <laughs> anyway, well, with that, let's listen to another sample. <laughs> let's uh listen to uh, the seeping, the seeping pus, pus of ancient wounds. Okay, so this one's really interesting. Uh, so the centerpiece riff on this song is essentially based on like an orthodox black metal arpeggio. Um, and typically when brutal death bands start incorporating these ideas, they're coming by way of ulcerate. But I think in this case, uh, Matt is going really back to the source because what this really strikes me as sounding like is industrial era, bloodoss Nord, um, and I would argue that there is a sort of subtle industrial undercurrent to this whole album. Um, not in the sense that it's it's cold and cold and rhythmic, but in the sense that it, a lot of this feels sculpted out of very unnatural tones. Obviously, the sort of air raid siren, swarm of flies leads the uh, really aggressive compressed uh, drum tones. Mm-hmm. The guitar tone itself, which feels like it, like it's made of mass.
2: The, 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 the sort of um, the chug is very industrial
0: yeah yeah it's, it's very much in line with that sort of enmity guitar tone where a lot of the tone color has been sucked out of it mm-hmm. um, and it's really interesting hearing this sort of melody be played in this really extreme brutal death context and it goes a long way to providing a new dimension of atmosphere to melodies that have just been overplayed in black metal proper Okay. <laughs> So that's that's a melody that if played in its original context in orthodox black metal, we wouldn't think anything of it because because of the idiom in which it's played, you know, it would be done as this sort of stately glassy arpeggio. Um, But here with the way that he commits to it so hard and delivers it at such a high speed and with that guitar tone where the notes sort of slosh around each other in this really weird way um it makes it something very fresh
2: so are you talking about the what we just heard at the end of the sample or the thing that sounded more like a tremor if at the beginning of
0: the sample uh the uh, the one that's more like a tremor if that yeah 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 yeah
2: so i can hear how it could be a stock orthodox thing i'm not sure i even would have noticed that if you hadn't pointed it out but i think that's right But the way he's staggering it rhythmically makes it completely different. It makes it basically not an arpeggio because it doesn't have the kind of regularity or predictability. Mm -hmm. Sometimes good in an arpeggio, sometimes in the case of stale ortho-BM riffs bad. Um, It doesn't have that kind of rhythmic, uh, set rhythmic form. It's much more, um, it sort of, uh, it, it, Quivers and spazzes and seizes up in the way that the rest of this music does.
0: yeah it it, it, uh-huh. it it this seems like a record where he really committed to a union between music and aesthetic. You know, all the music all the music sounds like a, a, a deformed person. you know it, it is wet and organic and wrong in a Ooh. way, that, in a way I, that I find just wonderful. I, I, I have
2: one more idea about that and about the noise rock thing. So the noise rock thing makes total sense to me. Um, it's pretty cool that we're finally seeing people listing the genre, the genre on the YouTube channel, brutal music, uh, <laughs> sick, obviously, which is a great channel is um listed as technical, brutal death, blasting, brutal death and experimental. Mm-hmm. So people are finally starting to give this stuff credit. Uh, and, The noise rock thing makes sense. Um, Another thing that kind of sounds like noise rock, but is extremely technical, uh, difficult
0: uh, metal, would be, do you remember Jute Gite? Oh, yeah, yeah, the microtonal band.
2: Yeah, I, I feel like, so Jute Gite is kind of different. Jute Gite is like, it's sort of purely nihilistic right? Uh, it's all about sort of just, you know, suffering and collapse and whatever, whereas this music is like heavy and cool and intense. Mm-hmm. Jude Guy does that kind of like academic music thing of deliberately undermining itself. Yeah. Uh, but like there's a lot of really interesting and really genuinely freakish and disgusting guitar work there with the microtones and I feel like this guy might listen to Jude Geit or some of the same things because that crazy some of the really crazy leads at the end, that sounded like disheartened that sounded like semitones. Like clustered semitones or whatever. What do you, what do you
0: think? I think it's very possible. Um I, I think that well, I mean this is a guy who is a major brutal death musician who's been around the block. And actually one of his previous um one of his previous releases, probably the one he was best known for, was a split seven inch with Sophilic. And Sephillic makes music, you know, just based on how Brian's described it, that is oddly academic for how sort of wild Mm -hmm. and off-the-cuff it is. And I'm wondering if there's kind of a similar approach here. You know, the idea of academic music being used for good rather than evil because it's about people getting murdered. (laughs) This is Josh from Defeated Sanity, and you're listening to Terminus Extreme Metal Podcast. (laughs) All right, we are back with our first uh, full review of the night. And this is one that that, uh, I'm introducing, but the Black Metal guy is actually the one who brought it to my attention that this was out. Um, This is the debut full-length by Paimon Gate titled Butcher to the Devil's Court. Out now on Nuclear War Now uh, on vinyl. Uh, I'm not sure if CDs are out, but I assume it's available digitally also. Um, So... We covered Paimon Gate's uh, Seven Legions demo last year, which was uh, just, like, fucking awesome. Uh, It was a real highlight of the year. I tend not to include, like, demos or EPs on my year-end list, but if I had, Seven Legions would have been up there immediately. Uh, I continue to listen to it. It's awesome. Um, But now the full length has arrived, and I'm very excited to talk about it because, yes, it is excellent. Uh, last time we talked about Paimon Gate, it was a little bit um, up in the air as to whether the person behind it was public. It seemed like information appeared and then got scrubbed, but it's out there again, so we'll uh, we'll just roll with it being public. Paimon Gate is, if you've heard the first demo, rather unsurprisingly, a project by Jake Cohn, uh, who is primarily known for Pro Sanctus and Fairy, which is a band that we both really enjoy. Um Paimon Gate, uh, I think I have a theory about Paimon Gate that um Jake uh Jake trades very specifically in a sort of Paul Ledney, you know, Profanautica Von Demoncy inspired form of early US black death metal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has various projects that have uh, you know, explored different angles of that sound, Pro Sanctus and fairy being the primary one. Um, prosanctus and fairy began as a very pure sort of uh, direct profanatica worship project, but pretty rapidly got its feet under it and started going into more technical and more abstract directions. And those records are awesome. But I think what happened is that Jake really liked the new direction of prosanctus and wanted to keep that going but also kind of miss doing the simpler, more direct stuff of the older material. So Paimon Gate was created to sort of fulfill that desire. That's a thing that happens to a lot of guys. Uh, You know, you start a band intending for it to be very simple and straightforward. It kind of develops a life of its own and you like that, but you still want to do your original idea. Um, unfortunately, Paimon Gate has now gotten more complicated and developed a life of its own, so Jake's gonna have to create another primitive project to back it up um, Well,
2: uh, Professor Professor, I have a question Yeah um, the, uh, So, how do you then place the last Prosanctus record, which was pretty, which we reviewed on the show we both loved, and it was pretty anomalous for Prosanctus, right? Because it was kind of very simple, very brutal had a uh sort of modern sort of uh almost almost uh what is it almost brick walled mid production mm-hmm. and was um sounded very uh feudal with a d right sounded yeah. very medieval and sort of almost gravelandy at times that was like um That sounds like, uh, that itself... Do you think basically that, in retrospect, should have been the first Paymon Gate record? you think that was him, like... Do you think that was his wake-up call? Like, oh shit, uh... He accidentally releases something that isn't a Pro Sanctus record, and then he's like, shit, I need it <laughs> for these ideas.
0: Um, I, I'm not sure. I've, I think that maybe hypnotic blood art is the thing that triggered him to want to do Paimon Gate. That's kind
2: of what I mean, yeah.
0: But I, I would also argue that hypnotic blood art is, like, sort of more abstract and minimal than even Paimon Gate. Uh, and early Pro Sanctus is, like, heavy metal. Right. You know, there's there's like prosanct early prosanctus and fairy is really cool and there's like a leather jacket involved in it. There there isn't a leather jacket for, for hypnotic blood art, I don't think. It's just like I, weird rags and furs. Oh, you know. <laughs> I, I could see a leather jacket, but in a
2: different way, I, I in the in the way that you could wear a leather jacket to an integrity show. Okay, that's like, that's fair. You know what I mean? Like, it's, like, uh, Hypnotic Blood Art feels like very abstract hardcore. I I see what you mean. It's kind of an outlier, but it's even more minimal, for sure, than Paymon Gate, and more brutal, but it's, like, it still sort of exists in the prosanctus world because it's very arty. Whereas Paymon Gate is very, like, do you like sick riffs? Do you like cryptic atmospheres? Do you enjoy to bang your head, motherfucker?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Pay yes. pa- pa- Paim- Gate has like a, a substantial amount of slaughter DNA. In it.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, for sure, for sure.
0: Like it, it is it is serious music and it's sort of arty in its own way, but it's also kind of party music, but for a really fucked up party. And that's yeah. what we always talk about evil music in metal what it should be, you know. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um so uh differences from 7 legions. Okay, the songs are longer and more involved. Um in terms of riffing, 7 legions traded really heavy on this sort of like darkest part of the Dorian scale riffing. And there's still a lot of that here, but now there's also a lot of very eastern phrygian stuff going on, but it works really well. We get kind of nervous we get kind of nervous around like a surplus of phrygian riffing, but here it really works. <laughs> Um, yeah, we're, we're 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 Phrygian curious. We're not we're not committed. Um, and something that strikes me about this record aesthetically is it, 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 it's interesting exploring what the idea here is. So so with the song titles and everything, Paimon Gate is sort of like about like legalistic demoncy. If that makes any sense, it's like, you know, the first demo, you've got songs like, you know, Supreme Ceremonial Bailiff, Cardinal Mm -hmm. Pain, Torment, The Lord Major Domo, His Offices of Wicked Command, and then Butchered to the Mm -hmm. Devil's Court, you get Licensure for Demon Dismissal and Commanded to Speak Clearly. So... There's an idea that this isn't just about demons, but about the principles and practices of demonology explored in this yes. very explicit, seriously occult but almost sort of funny way at the same time, just licensure for Demon Dismissal is a very funny song title.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. No, there's clearly, there's, I mean, the the Metal Archives picture is awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's Jake as sort of a Nosferatu character, and I think that maybe one of the inspirations here is sort of, um, again, far flung, but sort of like silent horror movies of the 1920s and 30s, and like early Hammer horror. You know, uh, tales of, you know, mummies' curses and stuff like that.
2: No, I think that makes a lot of sense. You wrote more about that in the notes.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, this really got me thinking of all these cool sort of like dark takes on hundred and one, uh, 1001 Arabian Nights. Uh, you know, uh, sort of, you know, perverse take on Lawrence of Arabia or something like that. It's a really cool atmosphere. Um but overall, I mean, I know that you like it, but what do you think about this musically? I mean, do you is this a? I, I think this is a subtle but significant step forward from the demo.
2: Yeah. So there's, um, I don't remember the demo that well. The All of last year was kind of a blur for me, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, just not not with the the show. There's plenty of good music that came out, but just my short term memory got destroyed from stress. So. Um, the. I can't. All I remember is I really liked it and that it sounded in many ways like Prosanctus, right? Because of those just muscular Dorian riffs and stuff. Mm-hmm. So this is a significant. St- uh, and by that I mean the last Prosanctus, really right? Hypnotic blood art. Mm-hmm. This definitely sounds a lot less like hypnotic blood art, a lot more like its own thing. Um, it's. Uh, I guess in a sense, hypnotic blood art is more my thing. But this is so fucking good and fully <laughs> realized that I, I might like it as much. You know what I mean? It's, um, the, there are Phrygian riffs all over the place, and you have some, uh, what you wrote in the notes was, uh, like, Phrygian scales that relied on, um, the calls. Cult- is almost deliberately inauthentic. Mm -hmm. Calling to mind... I'm just reading from the death metal guy's notes here because they're so good. (laughs) Deliberately inauthentic. Calling to mind a sort of old Hollywood portrayal of a dark mystical eastern hemisphere where deserts are dotted with cursed tombs. Sarcophagi containing foul black ichor which once was turban-bearing sorcerers whose magical fires are still whispered of in the slums of Persia. Whew!
0: (laughs) Um, I don't know. I got on a tear. I think uh, I was really stoned when
2: I wrote these. <laughs> I, I got to say, man, it charmed my snake. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the, um, uh, but like basically, these scales in the wrong hands are dangerous, but here, they're, he knows they're dangers, right? Mm-hmm. That they just sound like snake charmer music or stereotypical thrash metal minor. He's not doing that. hes He uses them to write really cool really amazing riffs the the rhythmic and melodic contouring of the riffs gives them tension dissonance and beauty uh almost despite the cartoonish nature of the interval choices um and uh there are another thing that i noticed about his his well, I've I've got some other overall thoughts, but basically the riffs are amazing. The sequencing of the songs is very interesting, um, and he I'll talk about this more. Uh, I guess when I get to my sample. Yeah, let's get into the samples.
0: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I mean, I'm so happy to listen to more of this album. I've listened to this mm-hmm. thing like five times already. It's so good. Um so we're going to go to the very first song, Licensure for Demon Dismissal. It's such a fucking I love it. I love it. <laughs> um and we're we're just going to jump in pretty close to the beginning of the song after like the initial AB riffs. Um, so here we're going to start exploring the idea of the riffing on this album, which is periodically so minimal uh and and so like fundamentally gestural uh that they, they, these are absolutely mostly melodies that you have heard before in early black and death metal but this is one of those guys who you've stated uh, about bands previously. This is a guy who just respects the power chord as a unit of its mm-hmm, own. Mm-hmm. Um, these, these riffs are carved out of rock. You know, these riffs are, mm-hmm, yes. Yeah. They're, they're primordial extreme metal phrases. And you and I, I think we've just concluded are just suckers for that. You know, people doing death strike master necrovore stuff, but doing it in an articulate smart way. Um, So so we're going to start with this Dorian Ur riff that is just like everybody's first death metal riff, but he makes it work. And then he starts sequencing similar ideas together, using that as a motif to expand on before he starts to get into some more melodic stuff after some really impressive leads that point in a very different and very interesting direction. So I I didn't even realize the thing that I wanted to point out toward the end of that sample isn't actually a riff. It is a lead that is designed to sound like early emperor, but early emperor riffing, but used in a lead context. It's so fucking weird.
2: Yeah, that's sick. I mean, in a way, I'd almost say it's a mini solo, like it's a composed lead, but Mm -hmm. it functions like a solo.
0: Yeah, um, it, but but to, to do it in that sort of stately I am the Black Wizard's way is, I've never really heard something like that before. It's a fascinating idea.
2: Yeah, so uh, we could dive into, you know, to the Emperor thing. I think you're right. When I heard this whole record, I was like, you could definitely say this is American Black Death. Mm-hmm. But there's also a... It really also is either very early second wave or even Norwegian 1.5 wave. Ye-
0: yeah. yeah that's it's it's interesting. I, I if you point me in that direction, I can see it.
2: Like think about like there's a great far greater rhythmic dynamism on here than is often or like more rhythmic change ups and stuff than is the case on traditional like second wave Norse black metal or whatever right. And there's more death metal, although the main riff here, duh, 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 really does sound hate foresty, as you were saying to me during the, the,
1: mm-hmm. the uh
2: while we were listening. Um yeah, and it's, it's like, very like, black. like
0: Scythian, you know?
2: Yeah, it's very black metal y. Um however, a lot of the riffs here have a much more death metal kind of dissonance or phrygian snakiness, which is also more death metal. Um but if you go to the really early if you take some of the majesty of the i am the black wizards era right we're talking pre-nightside emperor um if you take some of the majesty of those fully fledged songs on like the emperor ep and you combine that with the death metal brutality and the kind of off-kilter weirdness and oriental melodies of the earliest emperor stuff then you start to get something like this because you got to remember emperor had tracks like moon over kara share
0: yeah yeah and 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 emperor would dabble in some sort of phrygian ideas too from time to time
2: yeah but especially in that early period and then yeah maybe more later too when it got more proggy but um it's really like the um wrath of the tyrant demo yeah and stuff like that is uh is what's going on here so it's um it's pretty cool hearing that blended into the demoncy tradition uh And, and yeah, and and it makes a lot of sense. There's, um, this guy has pretty strong black metal credentials in general. Like, uh, you can hear it in the songwriting all over here, but more than that, I don't know. Did you know he had a straight up cult, uh, sort of modern cult BM band?
0: No, I I saw that on, yeah, I saw that on metal archives. I haven't heard that before. I'll have to check it
2: out. I've actually got the Nekiratul tape. It's pretty cool. It's oh, yeah. basically, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, werewolf, pa- pagan werewolf black metal in the vein of the Finns or probably, you know, uh, Senior Voland or probably, I assume Judas Iscariot is a huge
0: influence for his mm, more okay. melodic stuff. Yeah, I'll have to know. check that one out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I think it, it is definitely interesting. Um, it, it's sort of like a death metal take on, or a, a death metal exploration of the budget epic idea that you get (laughs) in a lot of really good black metal. Um, This is clearly a a project based on, and an album written within very tight constraints. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of deliberate creative limitation occurring on this record. I, I think that Jake was like, I like songs are only allowed to have this handful of elements. And mm-hmm. we're just gonna, we're going to paint with just like five colors and we're gonna see what we can do with it mm-hmm. um, but within that he's just unlocked so much atmospheric potential in this music it's kind of amazing
2: it's very cool I mean the atmosphere in that solo too, which is what brought up that whole emperor tangent the the strange echo effect oh, the, yeah. in that lead um but other thing I wanted to bring up um the in so what so that the main riff here dom, dom, dumb, dumb yes he has figured out that it's like the first, the kid who figures out that oh you go to minor six and then a fifth and that makes the spooky and noble extreme metal sound yep right that's and that is i remember figuring it out on guitar you did too which yes, <laughs> was a very good way of putting it and then he does and then a lot of variations on the b part of that riff as he rolls it along but um but the duh... how does he take dom sorry dom dum dum and make it so heavy so <laughs> much of it has to do with the right hand work all over this record he has uh he's got a strong right hand um and there is uh, unless it's a left hand but um and the way he's marking off the tremolo and just inf- infusing it with force Makes even a sustained trem line over those rolling triplets gives it it, it energizes the chord. Mm-hmm. So something that could sound static and rhythmically dead and melodically uninterested just sounds fully tense and intended.
0: Yeah, I I definitely get what you mean. Well, also another thing that's benefiting it this sort of like insistent rhythmic heaviness is the drum programming that's yes. so fixated on that. That that downbeat snare, you know, mm-hmm. which just creates it, the entire record is a quarter note pulse just going off yes. continuously.
2: Oh yeah, let's talk about that then. I I noticed that too. That's really important here. It's like he's chosen his default tempo. It gives it the downbeat pulse, gives it a thrashy feel, right? Mm-hmm. Like the da um, or, you know, um. Yeah, or yeah um um it, it links it to thrash um it also creates this um and it, yeah it's like a four triplet bar right like 12 eight which yeah to me links it to uh well hate Forest does a lot of stuff that works that way but also I was thinking more of like weird angle weird British black Death mm-hmm. like yeah, that whole tradition from going from stuff like and British in the most expansive sense from like Argus Lent to Mongrels Cross to whatever all those sort of like um, triplet flam oriented stuff that and, has uh, the sort of downbeat heavy triplets
0: and bolt thrower. Um, there, there's there's a lot of bolt thrower on this.
2: That's a good point. Yes, there are t- there's in in my next example there's some yes there's a lot of bolt thrower. I agree.
0: Well, let's listen to that one.
2: Yeah. Um, at the yeah, is that the right one? It's, uh. Tch, tch, tch. No, I think we get some really bolt-thrower shit on the title track, but on my first sample, it's the second track, Commanded to Speak Clearly. Um, and, uh, you're gonna hear some more of that, uh, twelve eight thing at the beginning, uh, with an ex. just extraordinarily brutal power chord riff that's brutal because of the interval choices and the, the cr- clipped downbeat feel. Um,. And then, uh, yeah, we'll start from there.
0: gotta say like I didn't really think about it until now but the production plays such a huge role in this music you know it's this is gonna this again very a weird thing to say but it's almost as though in keeping with the sort of theatrical presentation and following on that idea of old Hollywood it's it's almost like the the bulk of the music is 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 almost like in the background and then there's this because of it's such a, a cool mix, in a way, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it, it leaves enormous headroom for these strange sound objects and samples to come through, almost as though that is, like, activity around the music. Like, the music is being played in a room where things are happening. You know what I mean?
2: Uh, I hear what you mean, for sure. Yeah, we just got the tramping boots of a demonic horde.
0: Yeah, and that, that weird, like, spike of distortion toward mm-hmm, the beginning mm-hmm. of the sample. And that's almost how the, the vocals work, too. They're just these huge square waves of hissing way above the rest of the music. It's it, it very, a very interesting way to use a deliberately lo-fi production.
2: Yeah, and at the center of it, another thing that ties it to the Emperor EP, or Hurgain's Land Split, is despite having a ton of and very lo-fi, the core of the music is just a just massive, continu- thick continuum of low-end rhythm guitar, right? Yeah. Uh, an emperor, it was, you know, same off plus mor- mortis, right? Mm-hmm. And, and here it's just this guy's guitar stuff, but it's just, that is thick tone.
0: Oh, yeah, it's just, it, it, the guitar tracks and the bass track have just congealed into a single mass that i, I oh. like like you can tell there's something deliberate going on that apart from solos there's like never you know dual guitar riffs everything marches together in this yeah, this, yeah. this this defined formal militaristic way
2: yes, and so let's talk a bit about that last riff. Yeah, it's <laughs> Wagnerian. It's Wagnerian, but more than that, it sounds like you... It's like the... I don't know. I, I remember in high school band once playing like a sort of cheesy oriental... Or, or Cheesy oriental scene from some sort of 19th century romantic, you know, symphony or opera. And it, it had Eastern, it was very sinister Eastern scale. So it was really fun to play and it was cool. Um, and uh, this this kind of has that feeling of sort of just like a uh, um, very well done symphonic take on uh, sort of uh, cliche Oriental grandeur. Anyway, um, but what I want to talk about is the specific shape of that riff. Da da dum da 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 The phrasing, yeah, you when you're saying it's Wagnerian, you're identifying how good the phrasing is in this classical way, and you get a more typical. What makes it so good is the way he, the second half of the riff. There's a pretty typical sort of slinky snake thing that happens on the way down, and then on the way back up, you get this da 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 dum. I can't hum it now, but um it it's at, at the bottom it turns towards a more dorian tonality turns mm-hmm. towards wider intervals um, and it makes this run back up to the root where he's pushing more than pulling right he like he, he almost lets the notes fall to the bottom and then he pushes them back up mm-hmm. and as the arpeggios continue he doubles the melody back on itself so that like say a, tr- a note he's already passed Da 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 da, da 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 the middle of the triplet becomes the base for the next triplet mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah um, yeah
0: he's, he's he's just sort of reorienting the root note
2: yeah he's willing he's willing to pass back on a note and uh launch off of it again and it allows him to generate these wider intervals um
0: yeah it's it's dynamic in a way that even sophisticated metal riffs rarely are.
2: Yeah, it, it goes back to what you said about, you know, the power chord is a basic, he's mastered very simple things that a lot of people don't think about for how you make these riffs effective. Uh, and um, another point on that, which goes back to the, is the willingness to repeat notes is not just like within a melodic phrase, like there, but in transitions from riff to riff. Mm -hmm. uh, You heard how, like, the transition... uh, The transition from the Blast riff into this last riff is seamless. Mm -hmm. The Blast riff already previews the melody a bit, uh, and it ends on the same note as the Thrash riff. The only thing that marks it off is this just insane right-hand work. Um, And, you know, he he can... it's one of the few guys who can end a riff on one note and begin a new riff on the same note, and it has the same sort of authority as a drop from like you know the top of the scale to the bottom. Yeah,
0: it's 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 really neat. I it's it's man. I I, I don't know. I, I'll I'll get into it more at the end of the review, but th- this is like the kind of record. That's the reason I'm into this kind of music, you know. It's it's records like this. Yeah, there's something so uh, so 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 wonderfully deliberate about it. But I'll talk about it later.
2: Yeah. Okay. So um, here's the next one. The title track, "Butcher to the Devil's Court." This is maybe my favorite big dramatic moment on the record. Uh, b you know. Um, under all the Satanic Grandeur, there is still a Midwestern Garage Brawler. Uh and this sample is um the format is uh breakup up, sorry breakdown, wind up, mega breakdown.
0: tackling the whole time, listening to that dude.
2: So that last riff in the Mega Breakdown is based on the same three evil notes that we started our samples with. That the Death Metal guy started his samples with. Dumb, dumb, dumb.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's well, he's just like, why would I use? a different yeah. way to start a riff. It's the perfect one. We figured it out. You know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Since we all know that this is the most evil and epic three notes ever. Uh, and, um, and the, the way that at the end of the whole, uh, he has the skill, you can hear it again all over there, that he has the skill of staying on the same note and making it sound like he's switched to a completely different note. Yeah. And yeah. And yet, and yet then at the end of that last phrase, he drives it all the way up to the octave, and you get a just a mighty and heroic feeling. And then just boom, bolt thrower riff, and
0: I cut it off because I'm a sadist. <laughs> it's just it's there there's something um you you can really tell like this is like a fun project for Jake. I mean, just with like the aesthetic, like you know, the, mm-hmm. the picture he uses for the band. Yeah. And he's a guy who has such a, a wonderful boyish enthusiasm for simple evil. <laughs> you
2: know? Well, and, and then through that, he generates the most complex forms, like that first breakdown. He he uses just sort of uniform rolling double pedal without any emphasis points from the symbols to just create this sprawling, you were cackling at that, just yeah. <laughs> maddeningly complicated break to power chord riff where the emphasis always falls where you don't expect it.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, there, there's there's so much like cool little rhythmic trickery that occurs on this album and it's mostly coming from the guitars and note placement rather than the drums. Uh it's yeah, the the drums are this almost unchanging but like rippling surface that these riffs just play around in. Uh it's 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 so neat. It's it's the coolest parts of the one man metal project you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know it's yeah. like like he's a guy who understands how to use the blockiness of that format as a real asset um w- with that one more sample this is really just kind of a an i like the riff sample um this is off of satan's golden war dragon fuck yeah dude satan's what golden war dragon yes um and this is just a great example of Jake effortlessly dancing between Dorian and Phrygian ideas on this. It is just so cool, it's so dynamic, and it's, it's like two, these two shadow gods of this music in dialogue with one another, and I think it's just outstanding. Every fucking riff there is amazing. Like every one. It's just banger after banger flowing into each other seamlessly. And i it's just it's 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 such a fucking cool underground record. It, it is, you know, occasionally on the show, like a few times a year, I'm struck by a record that usually ends up on, you know, my top list but because it like reminds me of why I'm into this music. And I think one of the coolest things about Paimon Gate is that it is delivered with such an understated confidence and it's made entirely out of primordial extreme metal parts that you just understand or you don't. And at the same time to appreciate what, Makes this so wonderful requires like obsessive autistic knowledge and and fixation on these styles of music. Um, if you played this around a normal person, it would be fucking incoherent, they would not understand a single thing that you saw in this. But if you're if you're here for it, it's it's the most intuitive thing in the world.
2: All right, and we are back from discussing, uh, you know, um, prospective, uh, training in, uh, various martial arts and and the death metal guy's ongoing actual martial arts training, um, (laughs) uh, to, um, review a record that is instantly very near and dear to my heart by an extremely cool band who I've sort of had my eye on for a minute, um. This is Brett Waldus of Heathen Doom with Summoning the Gatekeepers. It's uh, self-released, basically, on... I think the label is... It's labeled as Old Man's Metal, but that's, uh, that's a blog by one member of uh, Brett Waldus, um, Scott Arcwielder. Um, and uh, how to describe this? As the very odd... Uh, old English name uh, might suggest. This is, um well, this is, it, it, it's very earthy, pagan, ancient, and kind of slow. Sort of doom. Um, you could call this a doom metal record. Uh, it's usually, uh, it's sometimes, a, it's a little too rough around the edges for trad doom. Um, but it has many riffs on it that are just undeniably straight out of the, the Anglo Doom tradition. Um, but r- really, where these guys are coming from is the crust scene of the late 80s, early 90s. And the informing sensibility throughout this record, I think, is uh, stenchcore. And especially just m- amoebics. Um, and, and the most medievalist strain of all of that stuff carried to its furthest conclusions um uh you know um so yeah uh there's it's two members they're buddies they've been at this on and off for uh decades since the early 2000s um arc wielder is one guy and the other is named uh Wartooth. <laughs> and uh <laughs> Um, Arc does most of the instruments. Wartooth writes riffs on bass and I believe does vocals. And I believe writes the lyrics. Um, and they knew each other from the Birmingham crust scene in the eighties, which means they must have been contemporaries. They must have personally known Napalm death. Uh, and they founded the band in the early two thousands back when there was that big doom revival, uh, which I think is why the band has it, that name. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but they see. There's a lot of other genres in the mix here, which is I know something you picked up on when you listened to it. Um.
0: Yeah, this is um, this is a very interesting record. I I have sort of a a different read on it. Uh, well, I I guess not necessarily a, a mutually exclusive one with yours, but I was really interested in this as part of a lineage of distinctly English guitar music. Um, I mean, this is obviously very deliberately and unapologetically English, um, in aesthetics and musical style, but it feels to me like this ties together so many things from English guitar music since like the mid 20th century on, uh, uh, and it 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 feels like a a a deep sort of retrospective look into ideas that cross decades um within that style uh this is a record that is sort of deliberately patchwork in a sense the the songs are all very distinct stylistically and have very distinct objectives to them um Which is not to say that this feels scattershot, you know, they all revolve around ideas that feel very comfortable alongside each other, but this strikes me as a record that is as much about its lineage as part of sort of English heavy music as it is about the record itself.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that all makes sense with the crust thing, because crust is such a the the at least amoebic style crust which is really just one band was uh it it was also steeped in that um, broader sense of English guitar music and it or British guitar music uh, right ro- uh, amoebics you know Rob saw themselves as like Scottish or Celts mm, right? yeah um, but they um uh you know, I think they grew up in England, but they were ethnically Scots. Um, The, uh... It it, it had, um... It was tapped into, uh... Not just the heavy metal and punk of the time, but especially post-punk, which is something we talk about a lot on this show, right? Especially goth, basically. Mm -hmm. Um... And also to a lot of the, uh, rock and roll, the hard rock of the late 60s and 70s. Um... Which would, as, as you pointed out in the notes, and I'm sure we're going to get into more, was basically the unspoken background for all sorts of early doom metal and heavy metal yeah. in Britain, right? And amoebics was very tied into that as well. Uh, and, um, and the, the guitar techniques sort of cut across genres. Um, and, and like amoebics, these guys think about genre in this kind of lateral way, where they see different things resonating with each other, And they use it to do something very specifically. Uh, I mean, I'll just read something from the description of Barrett Waldos on the Old Man's Metal site, which is well worth reading. It's good music journalism, which is almost a contradiction in terms, unless it's terminus. Um, (laughs) Well, we're we're, yeah. I mean, I I actually I wouldn't do him the insult of calling him a journalist. Uh, but we so the, for the quote we grew up with hardcore punk and heavy metal in the late '80s and in the late '90s talked about doing a band around our shared interest in crust doom traditional heavy metal black and pagan metal archaeology British and European history mythology etc with a DIY attitude and a strong sense of freedom. Great, uh, you know, great, great list. Uh, and the genre interests here are like prompts to this to this singular thing they see elements of all these genres circling around this one focal point and then the genres become just technical toolkits for doing it Mm, and i and having that broad sense of musical history i'm sure then allows them to draw from much further afield in old british rock and roll and folk music and whatnot
0: Mm. yeah so uh, so i've got a question for you uh sort of uh historically um Mm -hmm just because you're far, far more acquainted with like the British crust and stench scenes than I am. So Mm -hmm. where exactly did, you know, because I I wrote in my notes about how this follows substantially, like I call this a trad doom record, Mm -hmm. uh, essentially. Where did this proximity to trad doom originate from in the crust scene? Because I I mean, were crusties. Listening to Sabbath and taking it seriously? Or like listening to US Doom bands? Or or was that sort of pacing and the similarity to Doom Metal a sort of parallel evolution?
2: Well, Death Metal Guy, that's that's actually a really interesting question. Um So in terms of crust, right, the word is now means just so many fucking things, right? Yeah, if we're using the word in, in the strict sense, basically, like uh Well, Okay, people now associate the term, like, with Discharge, right? Uh, Which, at the time, Discharge wasn't a crust band. Crust didn't exist. It was a word invented to describe amoebics, Mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, Discharge, though, was very into Sabbath. I think that's probably part of just the massive Sabbath guitar tone and the dissonance of some of the coolest Sabbath riffs becomes Mm -hmm. just very important for their just crushing uh, bulldozer version of punk mm-hmm. um they're listening to the stooges and sabbath and like you know the stooges is extreme music sabbath for the most part is not yeah um but there's crucial parts of the puzzle that sabbath has that the stooges don't mm. um okay. right and so i i think i think that was important for discharge in the beginning Uh, However, um, they obviously sound nothing like Black Sabbath, right? Um, Amoebics originally thought Discharge was too fast. (laughs) Um, It took a while for them to actually get into Discharge. Um, And they associated heaviness with slow because they were really into Sabbath. Mm, Um, And also into goth bands that played at a more stately tempo, right? Or at like grinding mid-tempo. The earliest amoebic stuff doesn't really sound like Sabbath at all. It sounds really like a nastier version of Killing Joke. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, winter and no sanctuary and a lot of joy division and stuff. Um, Arise, you start to get a fair amount of doom influence that's obvi- hearable, right? Yeah. And then Monolith just is very close to having... By Monolith, amoebics is threatening to just be a metal band... and and the metal band they're threatening to be might be a Doom band. So they have a couple... um, There are a couple really beautiful songs on it, Um, uh, like, you know, Chain Reaction, uh, and I think also ICBM, although I need to re-listen to it for a while, but um, the... uh, well, for sure, Last Will and Testament. Two, two out of those three. I'm, I'm, I think one of them is not slow. But they're very slow, extremely slow, stately, crushing doom songs. But the thing is, they could also be Joy Division songs. Mm. Because certain tracks like New Dawn Fades and Day of the Lords are both almost doom songs of a certain kind. And people commented back in the day that live, Joy Division sounded like a heavy metal band.
0: Mm. Okay, and, that's interesting.
2: Yeah. It's a, so the sort of stately, the sort of slow Dorian majesty with these um big, breaking into these sort of big palm mutes or sort of jug a jug ram a moments on rhythm guitar. That's in because it's in Joy Division, but it's hugely influenced by Sabbath as well.
0: That's interesting. There was just something instinctual in me that said that, like guys from that scene would not, would see Sabbath as excessively indulgent or something, but maybe that's just me misunderstanding the relationship there.
2: I think that's kind I think that's one reason uh, early UK punk wasn't heavy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Was that stricture? I think like discharge and discharge clearly saw Sabbath as indulgent because they stripped away all the indulgent parts. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, amoebics I think would have agreed in a sense but there are certain other thing. there are certain parts of Sabbath that Discharge would reject that Amoebics wanted to keep, right? Say, the mystical atmosphere and mm-hmm. the sort of epic scale of the songs, uh, the kind of the, the magic of it. Uh, the uh, Occasionally, uh, Geezer would write really epic, noble-sounding riffs, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, Things like that are very much in amoebics. Uh, the Paranoid riff is a good example, right? It's fast, but it's super epic.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of so, which...
2: <laughs> let's go.
0: Yeah, speaking of which, let's go to um, my first sample. Um, this is off the second track of the album called Ragged Brothers. Um There is uh, a a sort of paranoid style riff on this one, which is very interesting. But the main riff on this song is what we talk about occasionally in certain weird kinds kinds of black metal, the secret agent man riff, which (laughs) is, you know, referential to sort of like 60s and 70s rock that is like very unfashionable now, but is a weirdly important underpinning for certain like blues inflected extreme metal bands Um, so we get through that, that's really interesting, the whole song's really cool it's high energy, propulsive hard rock stuff, it's sort of like the very first Motorhead record that most people don't actually listen to, they just go directly to Overkill Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. but then something starts happening, you get into this palm muted sort of paranoid style riff but then black metal starts intruding in the chord phrasing and it's presented in a way that I don't think I've ever actually heard before that very strange turnaround with that, that acoustic passage where they start diving into sort of traditional black metal chord shapes. Yeah. At the very end. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like uh, it, the, the riff while that acoustic passage emerges. Doo, 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 doo. Yeah. I hear that. It also just sounds very folky. Yeah. Very folky. But like in the, in the way that it's played in these sort of dyadic chords, it feels like a very like pagan black metal idiom. I can hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's that's really cool, um, and that's that's definitely what I call a secret agent man riff. That boom, dun, 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 dun. you know that's that is so awesome. I I really love. Uh, you know I've I've gained this passion for these sort of very straight up bluesy licks in, you know, rock and metal riffs just because they're they're such a forgotten technology oh. at this point.
2: Oh, you mean the embellishing do-da-da yeah. thing at the very beginning. That, that sort of repeats throughout. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then I hear you what you mean because at the end the acoustic lick is actually very close to that, but phrased in a black metal way.
0: Yeah, it's it's super interesting. Um mm-hmm. so I I think there's Something really cool that's getting pulled on here, which is, um, you know, these guys were around for a lot of stuff that's mostly forgotten now, such as early NWO BHM records that were sort of abutting a kind of pub rock, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. A, a sort of like um, British heavy metal take on, you know, stadium AOR. But but delivered more cheaply, the kind of stuff that is not like reminisced about by metalheads because it was like corny. But there's like a, a deep appreciation for that sort of thing. This, this little this little forgotten jetty of the NWOBHM scene.
2: <laughs> yeah, the pub rock is a cool comparison. Um, uh it. It's interesting that you, yeah, it's it's funny what you focus on. You focus on the thing in the main riff that's like the the bass embellish, the bass riff. Yeah. That is this like bluesy, slinky, bluesy lick. And I agree. I hear that now. I know what you mean. I'm like, yeah, that's very secret agent, man. The part I focused on was the part where they go,
1: Yeah
2: but that also has a kind of very rock and rollishness to it right it's got a broader more epic tones to it but it also very much could be a rock and roll progression or a punk rock progression mm-hmm. and that stuff goes back to kinds of pub rock as well um
0: yeah, uh, yeah, the, that, and, that sort of nested relationship yeah, between yeah. British punk and oi and pop music and, punk, and folk, yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, one, uh, one other interesting trivia point that relates to this is um, if you want to hear a dead ringer for Joy Division's Interzone, listen to one of the main songs, She Does It Right by Dr. Feelgood a pub rock band
0: okay um
2: and it both has a bit of that like slinky secret agent man vibe to it and the kind of just like uh lunk headed thrashing that we just heard in the rhythm part
0: yeah it's it's, a, um, it's an awesome it's a hybrid riff and it's really cool yeah,
2: yeah but 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 anyway so yeah there's um the pub pub uh all sorts of strains here inter- are intertwining, right? The pub rock to metal link, the pub rock to Joy Division link, uh, and um, and those two amoebics. Um, it's it's very cool and I, yeah, I like how, um, yeah, I, I don't know, these guys are very tapped into the, the most rock and rollish, organic, songy stuff that would have gone into the amoebics cauldron.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it, it really, it, it, it has a, 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 I mean, it probably has to do with the fact that these guys are a little bit older, yeah. uh, you know, there's a more immediate appreciation for things that a, a lot of guys our age or younger might reference, but they're referencing from YouTube videos. They're not referencing from being there, you know, <laughs> so, so very different things are pulled on with that sort of immediate connection to the source material.
2: And the musician-y touches that they throw in here mm-hmm. are things that you would have never heard on the crust scene, right? And that yeah. are very true to the 70s hard rock source material.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really cool. I mean, it's like we always say, you know, one of the cool things happening again in metal is people playing the guitar
1: again. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 lately. There's, these guys, I think, are very self-taught punk-style musicians, and And on this record, the musicianship is just like I've heard some of their early stuff. um the musicianship seems much higher, and like there's much more a focus on putting that at the front
0: yeah i I like it a lot. you know these are these tend to be like pretty simple songs for the most mm-hmm. part, and those little embellishments and that more rough hewn live feeling mm-hmm. does a lot for it.
2: For sure, all right, well, um with that let's go to uh well that segues well because we were just talking about more involved guitar work right so here um another band i should mention as part of this lineage basically like there's two sides of the crust scene there's the main side of the crust scene for which or the stench scene for which medievalism is entirely window dressing right Mm -hmm. um You know it's like fucking we always talk about that axe grinder record where the the liner note is not death metal peace metal right (laughs) when everything on it is like skull is about how sick swords and axes (laughs) um and right so extreme cognitive dissonance but they are the other bands that took the medievalism very seriously and sort of followed it out of punk and uh you know um and out of step with modernity Right, So, Amoebics, obviously, the foremost. It's a very small group. Basically, the group is Amoebics. <laughs> and you have to get outside the old crust scene possible to enlarge it. So, basically, Rich Walker of Solstice. Solstice comes completely out of that background. And the epic doom in Solstice is picking up on the doom undertone that was already there and that stuff. And Brett Waldus are really, I think, partly with the development of musicianship and just spiritually and scientifically so- They've always been spiritually in tune with Solstice, I think, and uh, on this record, the musicianship and the sense of just blossoming folk melody is very Solstice at points. And so Twisted Tree is going to start super stark and minimal and then develop towards some really cool uh, guitar work.
0: Now that complicated doom riff that you're pointing out there is—it's mm-hmm. it, essentially formatted in the same way as one of the complicated riffs on the Paimon Gate record. That sort of spiral upward, move down like a—you know—like spiraling down through the scale, passing its own root note and reestablishing mm-hmm. itself at the bottom. It's like the same—it's the same conceit.
2: I—I I hear what you mean. Yeah, yeah. For and it's a really um. And it walks, because it sort of takes its time, they're really, uh, Brett Walters are really good at using the, um, gosh, right, the guy in in Paimon Gate, right, he can open up a ton of musical space while Mm -hmm. playing at a very high tempo, right? Yeah. Here, these guys take advantage of the lower tempo to, again, open up a lot of melodic room. Um, and, uh, doing sort of like, going from sort of self-taught punk bass riffing to mapping out a uh, chord progression like that is crazy, right? It Mm -hmm. goes to, there's this, as it moves through the arpeggios, there's this, um, uh, (coughs) and we're talking again about the really elaborate, very folky and ancient sounding riff that ends the lyric section, Mm -hmm. that enters into the more, right? We got all this sick epic shit at the end, the beginning of the sick epic shit is this uh medieval riff and it shifts into a major key on or it shifts into major chords in a really cool way and then maneuvers back out of the major chords like it's running through a progression to round out the melody and it is uh it's very oddly shaped it's really cool
0: yeah there's uh, there's very sophisticated ideas on here presented mm. in this this deliberately deliberately underplayed workmanlike form and there's mm-hmm. there's an effort being made there and I think that has to do with the the sort of dedicated heathenness of this music or pagan quality, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, attempting to present these sort of elaborate melodic ideas with uh, deliberately restricted tone color and chord phrasings. You know, it's 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 very interesting to me.
2: That makes sense. And this band certainly has a um there's I I don't know about their specific origins, but there is a a working class ethos to this band, right? That is, you know, sort of uh I guess you could say as a part of like the punk scene as at its best, mm-hmm. right? Um and uh um the influence of yeah, sort of rough-hewn hand craftsmanship by uh, by guys who refuse to rely on anyone but themselves, and yet do the best work they can with the resources available.
0: Yeah, it's 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 very neat, and there's a it's uh,
2: it's, it's the aesthetic of the stout Saxon yeoman who stands on his own two feet with his battle axe.
0: The axeman, you mean?
1: Axeman. <laughs>
0: All right, so second sample for me. Uh, I want to go to the song Ashes. So, uh, so so, Brett Wildis are a band who are from Birmingham who play something akin to a, a, a complicated variety of traditional Doom. And uh, this is probably the most distinct trad Doom track on the record, and it doesn't sound like Black Sabbath. Which is interesting. It feels like it, they're deliberately sidestepping it, but I think that's because um, what uh, what these guys pull from Sabbath is the weird focusness at the root of it.
2: Uh huh. Uh huh.
0: Um, And they're not so interested in, like, the doom metal aspect of Sabbath itself. They would rather pull that from Solstice or maybe other American trad doom bands. Mm -hmm. But with Black Sabbath, they're interested in the Englishness of that band more more than their particular style of riffing or something. So... The, so let's listen to a Trad Doom track where it sounds like it's got the sort of grimy, downcast feel of something like St. Vitus, but this very tonally clear and theatrical riffing like Candlemas, uh, like Nightfall-era Candlemas, mm, mm-hmm. um, but with this the very blunt and blocky structures of like early BHM. Uh, it is super cool and weird, and I'm wondering if you might have a better clue as to what more immediately in the sort of British doom scene, this might sound like. So this one struck me while listening. Uh, another far-flung comparison, but like potentially useful. Uh, did you ever listen to any of the solo work by Bob Mould of Husker Du? No,
2: I was never really that into the whole American, that whole scene. Oh, oh yeah.
0: I, I, I'm not really either, uh, but Bob Mold's solo stuff is something that I stumbled across just at random some years ago. And this track really reminds me of uh, his 1990 album, Black Sheets of Rain, which hmm. is... Um, it's a, a a very heavy, very dark rock record, like yeah. like sort of like bitter and miserable, yeah. um, and it it has something to do with like early Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, uh, which are bands that are like clearly oriented around Sabbath in their own way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So so it's sort of like we're we're almost getting back to Sabbath in this very circuitous route uh, of like. Uh, other bands that are interested in aspects of Sabbath that may not be like the immediate riffing style. Um, But this is just beautifully arranged. I I like the, the tone of the main riff, which is sort of like bright and defined, but has that, that lagging sort of sagging quality of a St. Vitus riff, like the way the phrase just sort of sizzles out on the end in the A variation. I think that's really neat. And I think this is a really well-arranged sort of like doom hard rock song, which is not a not a combination that you hear very often anymore outside of like a very specific sort of circle of trad doom bands.
2: Yeah, it's funny that like, I mean, I, I get what you mean that like for the doomiest, for the trad doomiest song on the record, it sounds not very much like sabbath themselves however relative to all of the other material they're drawing on right the you know the pagan metal the crust the stenchcore whatever right yeah it sounds very it has at least it doesn't directly sound sabbathy but there is the intervals aren't super bluesy but on the main riff there's some there's a very, there's a bluesiness to the way it's being played mm-hmm. right it has that sabbath a little bit of the looseness the the blues the swing that's in yeah, it yeah. right um, and it has it it's got a bit of the um narrow well that could be that's sort of minor key but it's it's got those narrow passing tones that you get in some blues riffs right mm-hmm. uh, it it's it's sort of rainy day coffee and the in the diner kind of riff Right?
0: Yeah, um, it's really and, cool,
2: and and there's something I, I I hear what you mean about Vitus. I think that's probably that might be big for this guy, these guys. Um, Vitus really has that downcast thing. Um, yeah, well,
0: Vitus, and, Vitus were always you know sort of like you know r- wretched alcoholic bum doom. Yeah,
2: you know, <laughs> but but an interesting thing about Vitus is I remember I didn't totally get it when I listened to it back in the day. I think I would if I listened now. But what I thought back then was, wow, this is like a more sort of like fumbling Joy Division. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, the, I, yeah, I mean it kind of is. I you see, I I love Vitus. I've I've been preaching yeah. them to you for years. <laughs>
2: no, I think I think I dig it now. Um, and it's uh, and so some of the baseline, the just all the big baselines on this record have a lot to do still with like um various strains of you know various goth and post punk bands in the UK. But there's like. Uh, the Saint Vitus thing makes sense. Another band I thought of when I heard this. Here's one for you: The Gates of Slumber.
0: Yeah, I, which, I I'm familiar with the name, but I've never actually listened to them.
2: Which I bet Brett Waldis would be into. Mm. But, well, Gates is in the very small list of bands that, um, although technically trad doom with clean vocals, are basically extreme metal.
0: Oh, right? so like um, so like Reverend Bizarre. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and at Gates of Slumber, just like. Fearsome blue collar misery music from uh, I think Ohio or something. It's the Southern Midwest, mm. um, and it is you can definitely hear a lot of Sabbath in it, but there's a lot of much more sort of epic British heavy metal intervals in it, mm. um, and just sounds dejected. I bet these guys they were from the era when Brett Baldu's were coming out, so I bet they liked Gates of Slumber. I'll have um, to
0: check that out. Yeah,
2: you'd like it. Um, nice. And another thing that it resembles is also Solstice, of course, extreme metal, even though clean vocals. Mm -hmm. The first record, Lamentations, sounds a lot more like what you'd expect by a Doom record. Nobody listens to it because New Dark Age is so fucking good. But, like, (laughs) Lamentations has a lot more kind of dejected, slinky, downcast riffs.
1: All
0: right. Yeah. I like
2: that. Yeah, so... um. Now, for something completely different, (laughs) Um, (laughs) the, the most abused segue ever, but I can do it every six months, right? Um, the, the second to last track, Seething Cauldron, um, you know what, I've, let's just get to the sample.
0: Okay, we- weird thing I just got to say. Are a bunch of those just like accidental Macoheadel riffs? <laughs> like that um, stuff in the middle where they're doing the more like jangle chording? Um, I
2: hear what you mean. I think uh it does sound, yeah. Well, Macoheadel has the um uh yeah. Well, Macoheadel is very Macoheadel is very rock and rolly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um but I think it's more similar DNA, right? So when I listen to it now, yes, the, the sort of the jangle chording, if you tremolo picked it, it really would be black metal riffing. And it sounds Finnish. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so Makuhita loves the fins, obviously. Uh, yeah. But like, and in a way, this song also has blasting at the beginning, which will surprise some people.
1: Yeah, yeah. But
2: if you said this is a song alternating blasting and D beats, and it has sort of. Uh, sort of sorrowful but noble chords slashed over it, right it you might think of Horna or something
1: mm, um, yeah yeah
2: I could hear some Horna or satanic warmaster on those chords. I mean there's the other thing where the finns and Mawahedal are super influenced by RAC yeah and I think I think Brett Waldos purely through convergent influ- like evolution, mm-hmm. they have so much like primitive heavy metal that was left out of regular punk. Mm -hmm. And so much, like, rock and roll and whatever and so much sort of glum post-punk that it ends up kind of paralleling that tradition, too. Yeah, I can see that. I'm sure these guys follow modern black metal closely or pretty closely. And so it wouldn't super surprise me, but I think it's more just, like, similar. For a record that's coming from such deep and earthy places and such a long list of things that are supposed to be irrelevant. It has a lot. It really speaks to a bunch of things that people want to hear now.
0: Yeah. It's, 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 it's just, it's, it's fascinating the way this band has found its way to things that we really love, but with like a completely different set of ingredients than we would expect.
2: For sure. Well, here's, here's one technical thing I wanted to talk about was how they managed that transition so, the big thing that happens there, if you simplify it, is they get from the D beat to a loping 6 8 headbang part, right? Um, now, that happens all the time in Scandinavian black metal. It's not strictly a D beat, but it's usually the motor beat or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in early enslaved emperor, no problem. Mm-hmm they manage the transition instantaneously and for maximum torque. Right? Yeah. Oh, speaking of torque. <laughs> um they uh um that was very metal. Um they uh but speaking so motorcycles out the window aside, they um the they manage it with maximum sort of econ- the economy of really tight musicians. Um and for maximum whiplash for of the change up these guys do it in a different in an equally sort of minimalist but opposite way for them it's like a, a, a dB has so much inertia right in the good way it just if you let the DB go for six minutes like these guys do it just wants to keep going how do you get out of it uh into that sort of loping six eight part you sort of use basic dB syncopations to construct this weird, architectural doom riff that's never, it's, it doesn't settle into a groove, it's kind of like a breakdown, the it, it, the chords are bouncing off each other and reverberating in a way that re- gradually redirects the momentum and the rhythmic structure towards the loping part um, and it's that sort of very physical way of uh that very material way of writing a song where it's like, well, shit, we have this structure with this kind of momentum, and now we need to just, like, let it play out for a bit, and then it can spit us into the next. That's a lot like the songwriting in Grindcore. Mm, and, you know, yeah. these... And, you know, if you want to think about kind of epic, melodic, blasting stuff, Extreme Noise Terror, um, and, you know, again, Napalm Death from Birmingham. So there's a... Uh, they're finding very cool, distinctly... You know, there's there's all this sort of, um, they're pulling from their deep knowledge of the punk canon to produce, par- I guess what you were saying, parallel universe versions of uh, things that are familiar to us in metal.